Colin Savage was right. You've been watching the news. You, you'll you know that, um, my goodness, Pochettino's out uh, and Mourinho is in. Everything uh, Colin Savage said in the last few two or three pods turned out to be true. And uh, Colin, this was a period when managers were going in one door and out the other, weren't, weren't they? Well, certainly, I and mean, we'll talk about that in the podcast, but um, it brought a whole new meaning to the phrase manager of the month. <laughs> <laughs> literally, I mean, literally, this will come to shortly. Colin, just be- just before we get into the city stuff, um, I've had uh, Ray's opinion about what happened with uh, Pochettino and Mourinho, but uh, my listeners will kill me if I don't at least get your opinion about what you think happened there with uh, Pochettino and Mourinho before we get into this pod. I mean, it's difficult to know what uh, went on behind the scenes between Pochettino and the, the chairman, Daniel Levy. Um, you know, I, I was listening to um, Radio 5 Live in the evening and asking, was it the right time to get rid of Pochettino? And, and all the pundits said yes, because basically, if you've kind of lost that spark, if you, you know, if you've decided that uh, you, you can't take them any further, then, then it's probably the right thing to do. And one of the pundits, Stephen Warnock, said Tottenham were a worse team now than Pochettino's first couple of years, which, uh, to be honest, I struggle with. They aren't playing very well, but he's got a good team there. And um, the, 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 But you know, who knows what's gone on? Who knows whether his head's been turned, whether you know, there have been so many arguments with the chairman that, that he's got fed up. Managers have a often have a sell-by day. You know, they can do a job for three or four years. Um, you know, the magic wears off, if you like. And we saw that with <laughs> Peter Reid to a degree. Can I ask? Um, can I ask a question? Did Alan yeah. Ball ever have the magic? No. Okay. <laughs> I think that's where we're going to be headed. <laughs> no, no, no. He did not. A magician act so, any tricks. But, so, so it wasn't a hu- yeah. It wasn't a huge surprise that the Pochettino got sacked. But it was a bit of a surprise that Mourinho stepped into the breach, I must admit. Uh, Colin, are we going to be able to poach some of their best players? Come on, support me here, support me, Son Hyung Min. If, well, Leroy, if Leroy Sanic goes, we've got to get Son Hyung Min. Come on, Colin. You know, it's it's very much a tipping point for them. If if, if they get the Mourinho of old, uh, for, you know, from the Chelsea early 2000s, then no one's going anywhere. If they get the Mourinho that seemed to delight in... Um, unsettling the United dressing room and, and um, the United hierarchy, then, yeah, there's a good chance that I think that team breaks up. And, and you know, Mourinho will want to spend money. Daniel Levy doesn't want to spend money particularly. Partic- now they're in the new stadium. So I suspect the way they're going to be raising funds is selling players. The thing is, though, Colin, um, he's been out there doing his punditry and he's been parroting this line over and over again. I'm not going to go back into a team where they don't have a proper structure, where they don't uh, release money. Uh, He must have gotten some assurances from Daniel Levy, but that doesn't make any sense because he doesn't make, he doesn't spend money, uh, Ray. But um, uh, Mourinho needs money to build a team, doesn't he? Um, Yes, he's got some good kids coming through, but he will will get money in January. I have no doubt about that. Uh, He'll get money in, in January because... Uh, Spurs need to pay off the stadium. They need Champions League football, and it, there's a that's why one of the reasons Pochettino was fired. Now they need to get back in the top four. They need Champions League football. They need to finish higher up in the Premier League. Otherwise, that the impact uh, non-Champions League football is going to have on them is uh, devastating. The impact of no European football even more. So last season they got over ninety million pounds from the Champions League to for that to drop to. 30 million by being in the Europa League, that's a heavy, heavy hit. For, for that to drop to nothing by not being in Europe at all, that has to be crippling to their finances if that was to, uh, was to come to pass. Um, they must be expecting 40 to 50 million pounds every year from the Champions League. Not to be able to book that in their, in their, in their accounts is going to kill them. Well, Colin Savage, let me take you back a long way back to the 95-96 season and uh, we've got we're talking about Francis Lee, and he's brought in his man, Alan Ball. My goodness, the World Cup winner, and he played a fantastic game in that final, as you'll remember. And, yeah, we uh, talked uh, about that. And uh, we were everyone was very excited at the time, weren't they? Well, uh, no, they weren't actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, because uh, in actual fact, Alan Ball was a bit of a left field choice, but um, the name in the frame was George Graham at the time. I seem to remember. <laughs> Uh, and George Green was associated with the job a couple of times. But um, 
it, so it was kind of the two people in the frame. One was known to be George Graham. Uh, the other name wasn't known until it was announced that um, Graham wasn't taking the job, and it would be Alan Ball. And, and, and I think it's fair to say um, that the fans weren't impressed by that choice because he'd taken Stoke down a couple of years before, hadn't done he'd done okay at Southampton, but he, he didn't have a great record as a manager, to be honest. And, and the fans were distinctly unimpressed. And Dave Wallace will tell you the story. Uh, he was the, the so-called fan on the board at that time. He was supposed to, in his view, he was supposed to be carrying the views of the fans to the board. There was this joke at the time, Colin, wasn't there, that um, when you were upset with your manager, you would say, well, what medals have you won? And uh, yeah. Alan Ball could just slap down the, the, the World Cup well, winner's medal, and that would be the end of it. Well, as, as we've seen from um, so Fergie's so-called fledglings, um, you can be a great player, but not a great manager. So Alan Ball had not proved himself a great manager. He really hadn't done very much. And um, Dave Wallace will tell you that all the contact he had from fans was distinctly um, unflattering about Ball. And he, I think he either went on the radio or he wrote something in King of the Kip Act that was critical of the appointment. And he said, um, next thing you know, is Franny Lee's on the phone and, and, and kind of giving him a flea in his ear. And Franny Lee said, you're the fan of the board, you shouldn't be saying these things. And Dave said, well, that's, I am the fan on the board and this is what fans are telling me and you should be listening to me. Uh, Franny then said, we said, all the calls I've had about the appointment have been positive. And Dave says, that's funny. All the calls you've been getting are positive. All the calls I've been getting are completely negative about it. So um, it's fair to say that City fans were not impressed with this appointment. And Colin Barlow sensed that he was the managing director at the time. And he, he made a statement pleading for patience. Uh, and he was trailing the signings of a couple of, of skillful players and saying things like, um, Alan Ball, you know, the signing of Alan Ball as manager is uh, almost like the same as um, when we signed Joe Merce from Malcolm Allison. <laughs> so, so the board has set themselves up for a bit of a fall here, and um, as, as we'll find out, um, some of their pronouncements pronouncements didn't really uh, stand up to scrutiny. But it's fair to say the fans were not impressed by the appointment. You'll, re you'll remember him, Ray. Um, th this comes into our era now because we're just about old enough to remember that, with the flat cap and the high-pitched voice and the World Cup winner's medal. Uh, Colin, yeah. sa Colin says that um, the fans were not impressed at all. I absolutely believed him. Um, there, but me and my dad, we were really impressed. I mean, we, we <laughs> thought we thought that uh, we were we were delusional, weren't we? We thought that, that this is going to be the the spark of the of of the old nineteen seventies team that we yeah. loved so much. Look, look, we all know Alan Ball was World Cup winner. That that's a, the thing that really really sticks in your mind. I mean, I think going back when 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 uh, Colin says there were talks of George Graham, there was even. <laughs> I think probably absurd rumours that France Beckenbauer might have come in. It was, so you're talking about France Beckenbauer. Yeah, I, I think that the fans would have loved that. George Graham, he'd have been... Uh, one nil got, to the Arsenal, one nil to the he'd Arsenal. Have, he'd, have done the job. he'd have been pragmatic, he'd have done the job for us. So you think, okay, these two guys, yeah, they're okay. And then you end up with Alan Ball. And the best thing you can say about him was he, he was part of that World Cup winning team. Uh, and he won the title with Everton. So, you know, as a player, you, you don't really, you can't really question him. But as Colin has already mentioned, his, his managerial career had been checkered to say the best. I mean, okay, he got Portsmouth promotion, got them relegated the next season. Ray, yeah, were, were, you, were you excited when you, when you heard that Alan Ball got the job? I mean, I was, my dad was, my family was. Were you excited? I, I was a bit of half and half. I remember I was working down in uh, London at the time. In, in the mid to late nineties, enjoying uh, 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 the fast life uh, as it was back then for me. Um, <laughs> well, the guys who know me and know about uh, my, my fast life with my putting green in my office. Uh, I used to be <laughs> deadly anything under six foot uh, playing golf because that was my lifestyle. But anyway, um, but Alan, Alan Ball. See, part of you remembers the player and the achievements, as I, I've mentioned: World Cup winner, league title winner with Everton. You remember the, that that little player, okay? But part of you, and what was also very relevant, was what had happened to him as a manager with Portsmouth, problems at Stoke, uh, and I'm sure we're going to come up to that infamous game at Stoke with, with the crowd chanting. Both sets of fans were chanting mm. against him. 
Um, and, and he had a lot of problems at Stoke. And um, so, you know, and he, he just basically went around having problems. It seems to be everywhere. I think he had problems with Exeter, Blackpool, um, you know, so he had a lot of problems everywhere. And it just didn't, when, you know, now looking, especially looking back, you just think, why, what on earth possessed Franny Lee to get Alan Ball in when he had no real successful record as a manager? You know, he'd been batting about in some lower leagues. He'd done all right, as I said, with Portland for one season. But the rest of his managerial, managerial career was pretty bang average. Well, Colin Savage is going to come in and he's, he's going to tell us that he did at least one good thing, I think. I'm not sure whether it was... Um, mm. Uh, Alan Ball or whether it was Francis Lee, but we did get Georgie Kinkladzer. But uh, I think Colin will probably tell us the story of that as we move forward. So Alan Ball is the manager of Manchester City. Tell us what happened next, Colin. Well, next, <laughs> the first eleven, the first eleven games, we get two points. So we drew our first game, which was at home to Spurs. Mm. Then we lost the next eight, drew at home to Leeds, and then lost. We lost 6-0 to Liverpool. Colin, um, just so, so re- re- remind uh, viewers of, uh, or listeners of what kind of players were playing for Man City at that time. Uh, let's have a look. Um, you have some decent players, I'll say that. So, right, that, the starting lineup for that game against Liverpool was uh, Ike Immel, who was one of the summer um, buyers, Richard Edgehill, Ian Brightwell, Keith Edgy. Bell, Kit Simons. Kit yeah, Simons. Yeah, Gary Flickcroft, King Kladsey, Steve Lomas, Nicky Summerby, now Quinn Uwe Rosler. That is not a, that is not a bad team. All right, IKEA, maybe. Um, but, you know, that, that's a decent team. It is, it is. They that, they lost so many games in the first 11. That's, that, 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 well, that, yeah. that was dreadful. So so that didn't help, of course. Um, but, you know, we were adrift at the bottom on two points after 11 games. And um, that, that Liverpool game, just at the end of October... We lost 6-0. And Alan Ball, if, if he ever had the faith of the City fans, he lost <laughs> it after that game because he came out and said, well, I enjoyed watching Liverpool play. And that that lost any City fan who might have been prepared to give him a chance. Because now, now, Colin, do you remember what you were doing at that time? Were you, were you studying at university? What were you doing? No, no, no. I was uh, I was working. Working was it, was in... It, was this so your, working in Manchester. Was that your first but, job but, or second job? No, 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 no. Or, or a lot further uh, on. Second, second job, I think. Right. Second or third. And you, you were going to these games, uh, Colin, weren't you? I, occasionally, yeah. I mean, I had a young family at the time, so and I was uh, away from home quite a lot, so it was a bit more difficult. But yeah, I was um, a, very occasionally. I was going to games. Well, obviously, you were following it quite closely, so um, um, yeah. Alan Ball's comment about, well, I enjoyed watching that was just red rags or a bull. Because, yeah, I, I sort of understood what he said because when he used to watch Liverpool in the in the 70s, that great team in the 70s, they put four past us and you think, wow, you know, it's a privilege to watch that team. But you don't come out as a manager and say, well, I enjoyed watching that when your team's been beaten 6-0. You come out and say, that was an absolute humiliation and we've got to do better, particularly when you've not won in 11 games. So, um, Ray, that, when, that was kind of... Ray, when, when Francis Lee first came in, do you remember that statement that he made about that we're going to win trophies and drink beer and, and sing until we're hoarse, something like uh, oh, that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, and obviously, um, it happened, didn't it? Uh, <laughs> didn't it? <laughs> I mean, it was nothing of the sort. I mean, obviously, this was this season uh, with, with Alan Ball was the start of the uh, demise, let's say, you know, Alan Ball apparently said at the start of the season that he was the envy of millions uh, being Man City uh, manager. Um, but I just remember some of those games. I, would have, I was living down in London at the time. So I generally went to the odd away game. And I remember in the early 90s and in the mid 90s, I'd go to the odd away games. But when you're looking at that season, and I'm trying to, I mean, I can't, I, could, I can't remember which games I went to down in London. It's finished at Sutherland. Manchester United have done all they can. That Rooney goal was enough for the three points. Manchester City is still alive here. Novotelli, Aguero! I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. So watch it. Drink it in. They just heard the news of the stadium of life. A game 
Chelsea, no, let's put some of these away at Spurs, we lost 1 0. Um, away at Arsenal, we lost. Uh, away at uh, West Ham, we lost. Away at uh, Wimbledon, we lost. And these are the kind of games that uh, yours truly was looking, some of them was lucky enough to go to by living in London. Um, and, you know, as a, as a, as a travelling fan, it was. It was quite depressing, wasn't it, Colin? Colin Savage, what what did you think of the uh, of the actual team that Alan Ball put out? I mean, it doesn't sound that bad, but they were well, really bad. As we said, the team wasn't that bad. Um, you know, the um, players we had were, were capable of a mid-table finish at least. So uh, you, you've got to put it down to the manager, clearly. And and uh, the story is that Ball didn't endear himself to the players particularly. Um, for a number of reasons. One, one was it was he he came along and said, "I'm a World Cup winner. What have you won?" <laughs> Which kind of you know, you're not going to get your players on side like that. Uh, second thing was that um, obviously we were training at Platt Lane then, and it was fairly open, so fans would go along and watch training. And apparently, Ball would stand near the fans and would loudly criticise a particular player. And the players, were, you know, we knew what he was doing. He was trying to. You know, make himself appear, um, you know, a strong character to the fans and putting players down. And um, he, he apparently had this ridiculous way of referring to himself. So, so we say to a player, A B says you're not, you're not good enough. Oh my gosh, talking to himself in the third person. Third, third person, yeah. So. You know, he did not endear himself to the players um, uh, to start with. Colin, is there any truth in the fact, I, I've read this, um, I think it was um, from uh, Gary James' book, but um, until that time, um, they had, uh, under one of the stands, they had head tennis and Tony Book was in there and they had a, a very jovial atmosphere and the guys were, um, uh, you know, playing head tennis and um, having fun before training sessions and... Um, and Francis Lee came in and turned that into a restaurant. I'm not quite sure if that's true, but perhaps you could shed some light on that. I've heard that story. I can't guarantee it. If Gary James said so, then I'd take it as gospel, to be honest. Um, but because but what Francis Lee was trying to do was increase the commercial income of the club. And but as you say, you know, if players are if players aren't happy. Uh, players kind of are a bit dubious about the manager. They aren't going to get the best. It's like being at school. You know, if you had a teacher that you really liked, you know, you really kind of click with, you would do much better in that subject than you would do in one being taken by a teacher who you had no regard for at all. Or, you know. Who have we lost? Uh, I think, have we lost Mike? No, I'm still, I'm, I'm still oh, here. Right. I'm still here. Right. Um, but um, it seems that... Um, the guys were having a lot of fun in those days, uh, Colin, and Glyn Pardo and Tony Book were in charge of the, the training, and then Francis Lee came in and, and um, had all these big ideas. Well, I say, if you're not having fun, then, uh, say, Franny was trying to increase the commercial income of the club, which had been badly neglected, so that was definitely one of the good things he did. But um, if the players find it a chore, they aren't going to do it. So they aren't going to do it. If they, they find life is not as much fun, if they don't like the manager, then they aren't going to perform as well. It's as simple as that. We weren't performing, despite having a decent team. Well, after that initial period, um, did results pick up a little bit, um, uh, Colin? Did, 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 did the fans get behind Alan Ball uh, at any point? Well, we, yeah, we had a decent run of results from kind of November through to the big, th- through November, basically, beginning of December. Uh, we, we won four true one of our next five games in the league and um, we, we pulled away from the bottom a bit. I think we were um, up in 15th and um, so, so we were we were three points clear of the bottom three. So, you know, if we take that through to Christmas, through to January and started to pull a little bit clearer, even despite Ball's gaff after the Liverpool game, the fans might have had some faith in him. But of course, um, going into December, going into the Christmas period, it was the same old story. So it was um, lost, drawn, lost, lost. Then we won, won a game at home to West Ham, lost, drawn, drawn, won another one at home to QPR, lost, drawn, drawn, lost. So you know, there was one. It was one win, five games where we either lost or drew. Uh, Colin, the, so, the, the the listeners will will kill me if if uh, if I don't ask you about how Georgie Kinkladze came in and. And uh, apparently, you know, he, basically, City were stinking the place out. He was the jewel in the crown. The only reason that City fans were turning up to watch games 
Um, was it um, was it Francis Lee or was it um, Alan Ball that that brought him in? Do do you know anything about that? I, I would say it was Francis Lee, from what I recall. I don't think Ball had much choice in the matter. I think Franny Lee had, had been tipped the wink about King Cladsey and sent a scout out to watch him and bought him. Uh, so I don't think Ball. I don't think it was. A, a, well, I'm pretty sure it wasn't an Alan Ball purchase. It was a Franny Lee purchase. And of course, he was a wonderful player, but. The other side of the argument is: Was he the right? Was he the the, the right at the wrong time, or or something? You know, because he was such an individual player, you, you couldn't really fit him into a, a team. And there was a lot of uh, certainly later on, uh, someone like Joe Royal was he? Yeah, still here around Royal's time. Yeah, uh, struggled to know where to play him. And uh, but I mean, Royal was playing a completely different style of football. But of course, um, the thing people most remember him for is. Um, that wonderful goal against Southampton, which oh, happened yeah. in uh, yeah March 1996. That was unbelievable. And, um, I mean, he just went through the whole team and, and, and slotted the ball home. It was absolutely wonderful, and that's the sort of thing that King Kalaji could do. Was he but, the only um, uh, the only shining light in, in those teams, Colin? I mean, was there was there anyone else? Was there anyone else? You know, we had Rosler. Yeah, Uwe Rosler was there. Stevie Lomas was there. Um, Nicky, I'm just like that. That team against Southampton was Ike Immel, not not remembered very fondly, of course, not a great goalkeeper. Ian Brightwell was all right. Uh, Michael Fronsek, probably one of the worst fullbacks mm. we've ever had. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I remember. Got, yeah, but then you've got central defence, Keith Curl and Kit Simons. Decent players. Oh, well, more than decent players. Um, Nigel Clough in midfield. Yeah, Nigel. Nigel yeah, Clough, okay. if he only was <laughs> able to play like his father played at centre forward, we exactly. Been, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, guys, um, if you if you don't um, if you don't know, check out uh, Nigel's dad's uh, stats as a striker. He was oh, he was yeah, yeah, yeah. He was right up there with Jimmy Greaves, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the best centre forwards ever. Um, and unfortunately, a knee injury ended his career. But uh, yeah, we, we had a bit of a mixture of a team there. You had the Ike Immels, Michael Fronsek, Nigel Clough not really doing the business, Nicky Summerby really suffering from a lack of confidence, uh, m- more than a lack of ability. But you had Uwe Rosler, Stevie Lomas, King Clancy, Flickcroft, Kiss Simons, and Keith Curl, Ian Brightwell. You know, not. Uh, um, now Quinn was in the squad. Was um, in the Col- squad at that Col- time. Colin, so, yeah. Colin was was Nicky Summerby um, overshadowed by, by his father's reputation. Do you think? I, I think so. Yeah, I think that's a lot of it. Um, and I, I, you know, you go to a club where your father was an absolute star and still is. That uh, he's not playing for us anymore. Uh, but I don't think I think playing under Alan Ball didn't particularly help Nicky Summerby. He did come to life. A bit later on, particularly under Frank Clark, I think we'll talk about Frank Clark later, but Frank Clark did have a big impact on the morale of the players. Ball wasn't having that impact. So, yeah, it's not the greatest team we've ever had by any stretch of the imagination. There are some weaknesses in there, but it's still a team that should be, you know, mid-table-ish. Ray, come on, come on. You were a George Eakin Gladzi fanboy, weren't you? Oh, I love George Eakin Gladzi. He was... He was uh, quality. He was so he had, sexy. Uh, <laughs> my well, God. Well, Mike, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go expressing my mind. I mean, in, 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 in football terms, I mean, at that time, oh, yeah. there, was, there was nobody so, like that. Oh, yeah. The, the skill that he possessed, that left foot, you know, he could, he, obviously we, we've seen it countless times where he can dribble, dink balls over the keeper, um, free kicks. Uh, he, was, he was a star he was a, he was a tiny little star from was he from georgia um yeah and he was he was fan, fantastic uh sadly I, I met him last season and uh he, he's uh he, he's not so little anymore um, and <laughs> i think uh, re- re- retirement has uh, ha- happens has, to uh, us all guys happens to us all it's done him, done him. he's i think he's living the uh, he's living the fat life in retirement I mean, the high life in retirement um Definitely poorly, yes, I saw him, but But the thing is, the fans still love him, because when he came to the uh, Etihad last season, and, uh, you know, fans want, they were desperate to have their selfies, obviously the the guys in the 30s, 40s, 50s, um, desperate to have a selfie with with Jorge, and um, it was fantastic. Obviously, I don't think he speaks much English, um, and uh, for most fans there, Georgian isn't good enough to converse with him. But yours truly always learns that, hello, how are you, or something like that. And you say something, I said that to him, and he, he, he twisted around, speaking to him in Jordan, who's this? 
and you, you get your selfie. So he, but he's a, he was a shy lad as well. So, you know, he, he's still shy now. Um, and, and probably he was even more shy at the time. A young lad in a, in a new country, doesn't speak the language. You know, he was a tiny bloke, um, needed a bit of mothering and looking after. But he, look, you know, he, he scored some good goals for us. And I'm just going back to some of those games where, where we had that, we had that good run, in, as Colin said, in November, where we won four and drew one, but we weren't scoring a lot of goals. I think we won each game that we won was one nil. Um, so, but, you know, we had some decent crowds, around 30,000 crowds at home. Guys, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying to, um, uh, remind, uh, or, or, or try to put people in mind. Colin, his name has gone out of my head at the moment. Who was the player that played for Tottenham and Manchester United? Looks a bit like um, Michael Corleone, and uh, he excited everyone. We we almost bought him for City, I think, at the at the time of the the take the takeover. There was a lot of um, uh, talk that we were about to get Herbert, him. Berber, uh, Berber, yeah. Well, we, well, yeah. yeah w- would you say that he was that um, he was probably the Berbatov at his time? Um, you know, with a lot of dross around him, he had that yeah, sort of silky well, skill, and, and well, I um, mean, Berbatov had a reputation of being a bit lazy, which was may have been unfair, but um, you know, he was perhaps you describe him a, a little bit more as a a, a sort of di- light Kevin De Lo- Kevin De Bruyne light, <laughs> because he had that all the skills. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. I'm trying to think of a comparison. I mean, I, I think Fronny Lee probably saw him as a player in very much his own mould, you know, who would take the ball on and weave through a few players and um, stick the ball in the back of the net. But uh, we were actually we weren't sticking the ball in the back of the net. Just just looking at, after that Southampton game, we were uh, 15th out of 20. Uh, we were five points clear of the bottom three, but um, we only scored 24 goals in 31 games. And the next highest were, um, were QPR, who were second to bottom. They scored 27. Um, so, yeah, we, it wasn't a high-scoring time era anyway, because the top team at that point were Manchester United, and they'd only scored 57 in 30 games. So um, we, we weren't scoring a lot of goals anyway, but, but I think King Clasi was getting a, a a lot of the goals that we were scoring. I think Kinky, was Kinky, Kinky got four. I've got the stats, guys. Kinky got, I think, four league goals that season. Four. Rostler got nine, and I think Quinn got eight. Yeah, mostly from headers. So, I mean, re- re- really, you know, I mean, when you look at the sort of team we were, when your top strikers are getting eight and nine, and your midfield players getting four league goals, you know, if you think of a striker like Aguero who's getting twenty odd league goals a season. If your midfield player gets ten or a dozen, you, you, you'd say that was a good return for a midfield player. King, I think King Cladzi was our top scoring midfield player with four. Lomas had three. Um, you know, not basically. Simons was one of our top scorers with two. It gives you an idea uh, as to uh, even uh, Craney got a couple of goals that season for us. Oh, uh, don't, three, don't, fact, don't, don't talk to me about Jerry Craney. Oh my gosh, that <laughs> was uh, guys. Uh, but, but Colin. Tell us about how the the end came for Alan Ball because it must have been difficult. I mean, he was a a, a big friend of uh, Francis Lee, and well, um, well they yeah, they grown up together in Bolton, so you know they, they were both uh, Farnworth lads. Um, I think so. Um, yeah, they, they knew each other. I mean, the, the end came, and, and it's a well remembered end. Um, I say after that Southampton game, which I wasn't our last win. It was our last win for about four or five games. And um, we then lost a series of games culminating with a, a 3-0 loss at Wimbledon. And at, at that point, the table is looking um, very, very iffy. I'm just going to bring it up, actually. So, in uh, there's 20 teams in the Premier League. So, in 16th is Southampton. They play 34 on 31. Uh, we're next, 17th, so just outside the relegation places. We've played 35 with 31 points. Queen's Park Rangers are behind us on 30 points after 35 games. Coventry uh, played one game less, 34, and they're on 30. So they've got a game in hand, and they're a point behind us. And Bolton Wanderers are on 35, 
and 29. Now, Coventry then, but we've got the worst goal difference. So we've got to finish ahead of these guys on points. Coventry with that game in hand, they drew that. So they were level on 31, but ahead of us, ahead of us on superior goal difference. So at that point, we're in 18th place. And then we then we actually do quite well. So we win our next two games uh, against Sheffield Wednesday and Aston Villa. But all the other teams around us are also winning. So we're getting to the we're getting to the final game, uh, and the situation is that uh, we've got three teams on. Well, Queens Park Rangers and Bolton are down in nineteenth and twenty, and there's three teams who play thirty-seven games are on thirty-seven points. Uh, uh, so that's Coventry, Southampton, and City. So basically, we've got to do in this final game, which is against Liverpool at Main Road, and Liverpool beat us 6-0 early in the season, we've got to do better than either of Coventry or Southampton. Either one of those. But if both of those win, then uh, we both win by a huge amount. If both of those win, effectively, we're down. And that, that was a very, very, very well-remembered game, Ray. Uh, my but, go- my goodness, what, what went well, on in that game? Well, I mean... I think most people remember the ending of that game. Uh, we were drawing two all uh, with Liverpool. Niall Quinn yeah. running, we, we, up, been, running onto we, the pitch. We, we, we've been two 0 down at half time. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we'd come back. We, we were in true. I mean, Liverpool. Look, let's you know, Liverpool had beaten us six 0 earlier in the season. They finished the league, I think, in third uh, position. So you know, it was hard enough for for us to to get anything out of that game. Um, but it, we'd looked at that two two home draw. You know, with, with a couple of minutes to go. Um, it looked like we were going to, you know, scrape um, survival by the skin of our teeth with the results elsewhere. But in, in those days, you, you, you didn't have uh, the same level of communication. You know, thirty odd years ago, you didn't have the same level of communication as you have these days. And somehow, you know, when we're drawing too well, the communication that went through to the players was that we didn't need to. Um, we, we just needed to keep that draw, and we'd be safe. Because the other games, someone of the other two teams was losing, and we just needed to hold on to a draw. So it got to this bizarre situation right at the end of the game when we just passing the ball round in the corner. We were wasting time to keep that draw. When actually we found out too late, too little, too late, that we actually needed to win because the other two teams, Coventry and Southampton, and it, remi- it reminds you of Manuel Pell- Pellegrini, doesn't it? Well, that uh, Bayern Munich game when we, we were beating them and we needed to beat them by was it? Uh, a couple of clear goals to go through as group winners, and uh, he had no idea. And we were all well on top. Yeah, it's, it's the same as that. It's it's something that you just can't. I mean, Manuel Pellegrini was worse because we knew before the game what we had to do, and you, you and you were playing the opponents that you had to do it too. So it was all in, dead in one but, game in the but moment. Ray, but Ray, one one guy knew, Niall Quinn knew, and um, he was um, yeah. off down uh, the touchline trying to tell the players to wake up, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. It, it was. It was um, go, guys, go watch it on, on on YouTube if you if you get the time and the chance because it was just a bizarre way to finish a game where pretty much more, the, the more, the players didn't know the uh, management staff didn't know. You had Quinny running up and down trying to g them up, um, and pretty. You know, I, I don't know how, how many of the fans knew this guy with their transistor radios and how far behind the live action the transistor radios were. Or you know, trying to uh, keep up to date with what's going on. So, it, 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 and by the time that we obviously found out that a two-two draw wasn't going to be enough, it was too late. And uh, you know, we we'd been relegated, and look, we only scored thirty-three goals in thirty-eight games. You know, um, and for the for the players we had, and for the creativity and, and, and skill, and some of it in midfield. But the guys that you you look back and think, yeah, these guys were good for City and Rosler and Quinney. And but you look back and say, we didn't score enough goals. Thirty-three goals in thirty-eight games is pretty poor. And uh, it, it, I think the way we went down was gutting. The way we went down, you know, and and it's only City can do this, you know. When we got beat by the Luton Town, um, you know, that's, that's, that's telling in, you guys that's in one 1983, of the, yeah, yeah, 83. That's one of my worst memories because I was a kid at school and I, I you took it really badly. Um, you know, the songs uh, "Who Sent City Down," "Luton Town," "Luton Town," and David Pleat um, running onto the pitch and, and, and all and all that. Uh, and this was a similar kind of thing because it's only City that could cock it up and look for a draw when they need to win and be wasting time in the corner 
when you need to win the game. Now, Colin Savage, did um, did uh, Alan Ball see out the season, or was he, yeah, fired, yeah. was he fired just before the end? No, he saw out the season, and... Um, but at, at this point, uh, one thing is, you know, he saw out the season. He started the, the following season, which we'll talk about in a second. But I think it's important to interject at this point that Francis Lee had been touting around for investment and he'd come across John Wardle and David Macon, who had just floated uh, their company, JD Sports. So, so they had a few bob in their pocket. They were approached, I think, by David Bernstein to invest some money. They came and had a look and they talked to Franny Lee, they talked to Bernstein. And they decided to put some money in. So so they they had some shares and started to get interested. So this is kind of setting the scene for what's going to come shortly. Yeah, but during the summer with relegation, um, it was kind of a, um, a watershed moment, really, because we lost uh, Niall Quinn, Keith Curl. We lost Paul Walsh, Tony Coton, Terry Phelan, Gary Flickcroft. Uh, th- those players all left us because we needed to trim the wage bill. Uh, and we got players like Jerry Creaney to replace them. So that that was a bit of a, a downer for City fans. I mean, you know, you see people like Quinn going. You see people, you know, that Paul Walsh, they always called on the radio, the little genius. So so uh, Tony Coton was an important figure for us. Terry Phelan. We, we lost that Terry Phelan as the song went. So, so you know, some of our better, more experienced players who, who you felt belonged in the top half of the Premiership, They've all gone, and today we're getting Jerry Creaney coming through. And um, th- this isn't a good start to the season. And again, if Paul had any respect from the players at that point, again, he lost it because, his again, his motivational talk to them was, well, I've got a World Cup winner's medal. You've got to show me what you can do. And, yeah, when you're a manager who's just taking a, a decent mid-table team down, you, you need to be offering a little bit more than, well, I've got a World Cup medal 30 years ago. So um, we started off the next season um, with, I think we, we won the first game, but we lost the next two. And the second of those was, um, so we think we're coming straight back up, of course. Well, we hope we're coming straight back up. Won the first game at home to Ipswich, which, which um, I think we played early, actually. So I think we were top of the league or something temporarily. Then we lost at, at Bolton and, and the next game was at Stoke. Now, Stoke had also suffered under Alan Ball's hands mm. a couple of years previously. Uh, and the City fans lost patience with Ball at this point and uh, were singing, you know, we want Alan Ball out. And this, the Stoke fans were joining in. Uh, and I think this was one humiliation too much for, for Ball. And um, he got together with it. The story is he offered to resign and Lee said, no, you know, I want you to carry on. But um, whether that's true or not, but but basically after that Stoke game, Alan Ball resigned. So 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 Ball had gone, and um, at, at this point again, uh, just just in the summer, just to interject uh, another kind of off off field happening. Um, my good pal Noel Bailey, who was editor of the Birch Hartman's Helmet fanzine, he went along. He secured a, a, an interview with Franny Lee, and he went along with a guy called Steve Worthington. Him and Worthy. Interviewed Lee, uh, and, she, <laughs> and you know, the word we used in the last podcast was bellicose. This is our, our word of the podcast, and um, L- L- Lee was quite bellicose. They asked him about what new signings are we are we going to make, and, and Lee basically said, "Oh, we don't need any new signings to get yeah. out of this division." So, um, you know, whether it was um, Franny Lee had his fingers in his ears and was going la la la, whether we genuinely believe that. Or whether it was just um, for effect, um, Noel wasn't impressed by this. Mm. Can I can I just add that um, in in that game, after the game against uh, Stoke where we lost two one, apparently Ball said, "Well, in in terms of points, we didn't come away with anything, but as the manager, I got something out of the match." Um, <laughs> as, yes. you know, and I'm I'm going to I'm going to read something from. Um, um, Ball's uh, autobiography. Uh, so before the next game, obviously Ball Ball resigned. Um, in his autograph autobiography, uh, it's called "Playing Extra Time." It's got a slightly different story. So he says Franny was there with Secretary Bernard Halford and came straight to the point, as he always would. Look, mates, I've got to tell you that it can't go on. I listened, and some of the fights drained out of me. As I told him, fine. By this time, I had not really had enough. But I had taken so much on my shoulders. I feel so much flack. I had upset so many players. I had done so much of the board's dirty work that 
I was in danger of being bowed by worry. I'm not sure how much of that is true, but that's what uh, Bali said uh, at, at the time or afterwards after um, he resigned. And he didn't leave us in a great position, though, did he? I mean, we might start the season well, but the, the team was, as Colin said, we sold so many of our decent players. Um, it, 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 well, there's a lot. There's a lot of fun to follow, which I'm sure you're going to talk about next, Mike. <laughs> well, well, I was just going to ask uh, Colin. He sold so many um, key players. Was that in any way equivalent to what happened later? We'll get on to this in another pod when Malcolm Allison came in and, and basically killed my, killed my team, the, the team of my childhood. But was it as bad as that? Well, it was slightly different because um, from Bo's point of view, we sold these players to trim the wage bill. So it, 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 it wasn't the same. It was almost an act of vandalism on Malcolm Allison's part. He almost wanted to prove himself. He didn't want any of the old guard around. And uh, he wanted to get his own players in and build a new team. In the way they built one in 1960, him and Joe Mercer were built one in 1966. But of course, Joe Mercer wasn't there. And, and it was an act of complete vandalism that, that Malcolm undertook. From Ball's point of view, from Van Lee's point of view, in, in 96, it was um, financial necessity because we were struggling for money. You know, um, Swales had left us in a complete mess. Fanny was trying to put it right as best he could. He had to build the Kipax. Um, and, um, we had to get rid of the bigger bigger earners off the wage bill. It was survival rather than a deliberate act of, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it my way. But, uh, Colin, there were green shoots coming through in terms of mm. the, the, the FA Cup youth final, weren't there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't all hopeless. And um, But, but at, at, you know, at this particular point, You've got Franny Lee. And, of course, Noel Bailey went back and wrote, wrote this interview up in Bertrand's home, so it's on record. Franny Lee saying we don't need new players to get anyone, you know, great to get out of this division. And, um, you know, a few games in and we're, 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 we're struggling. And um, I think the other, one of the other kind of light bulb moments was we, we were drawn against Lincoln City in the League Cup. And in those days, even the early round ties were over two legs. We went to Lincoln, we lost 4-1 which wasn't good to start with. And then Lincoln came back to Main Road a week later and beat us 1-0. Oh, I remember that. I remember that. Oh, my gosh. So that was a low point. And to be fair, uh, Asa Hartford was caretaker manager at the time. But um, Franklin had his eyes on, obviously wanted a new permanent manager. And George Graham popped up again. It's like whack-a-mole. You know, every time you look, George Graham's head's... (laughs) You know, look, looking over the, 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 the window into the manager's office. Um, but there, there was a feeling that George Graham was just using City as a lever to get the job at Leeds, which is where he went. Um, Dave Bassett apparently was offered the job, accepted, and then um, saw the light and recanted. I would have quit. I would have quit as a Man City fan if Dave mm-hmm. Bassett had become the manager. But um... So, uh, yeah, so, so we're still short of a manager. And along comes, and this was seen, well, see, along comes Steve Koppel. Now, there were two ways of looking at Koppel. Now, One, this, he was is, an this, this is a con- incredible mystery, isn't it, Colin? Well, yeah, well possibly, yeah. I, I, maybe throw a little bit of light on it. But um, so along comes Koppel with, with his faithful assistant, Phil Neal, in tow. Uh, I think Phil yes, Neal boss. Was yes, boss. Yes, boss. Cardiff at the time. And Coppola approaches him, I'm going to City, would you like to come as my assistant? Do I, I not Neil like that? Great... <laughs> yeah. That was Graham Taylor, wasn't it? Yeah, with was Graham Taylor, yeah. Because uh, Phil Neal was a character that Bradley Walsh played in um, Mike Bassett, <laughs> England manager, apparently. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was so funny. And it was so, it was so blatantly obvious. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Anyway, cut to the chase. So, so Steve Couple comes along. And on the one hand, a lot of City fans took against him because he was an ex-United player, of course. But I think there were a lot who thought this was a good appointment. It was a good young coach who um, was starting to do things very scientifically, analyse games in detail, had an eye for detail. So, yeah, you always get a group of City fans who don't trust ex-United players. There's, there's probably some who even hate Brian Kidd for his United Association still. But um, and certainly a lot who didn't like Mark Hughes. But Koppel looked like a good appointment at the time. And um, again, we started off, uh, I think our first game, we got we got a point at QPR, I think, Koppel. Yeah, yeah, October, yeah. We got a point at QPR. Yeah. Yep, okay start. Then we lost the next lost the next game, won the next one, 
lost another one, won, won at South End, and um, they were lost at Swindon. And um, the news comes out after that, Steve Koppel has resigned on health grounds. Now, Colin, this has never, never been satisfactorily explained to me about well, why he no. quit. You've well, got, I mean, you've, Francis, Francis Lee has never, neither Lee nor Koppel, to be fair, have ever said anything more. I know a little bit of background, uh, and one of the stories I've heard, uh, Steve Koppel, obviously, his family were down south, so he was, you know, up, up and down, up and down the motorways or um, or the railways on a regular basis. And I think his wife was finding it quite hard. He was finding it quite hard. So, so that's the sort of stress. But, but what may have kind of kicked him over the edge was I, I gather that he had a, a when, when he took the job, when he was looking at taking the job, he asked Franny Lee what sort of transfer funds would be available. And Franny Lee said, oh, yeah, yeah, I can give you a few million. I can give you three million to spend or, or something like that. Steve Koppel came in, had a look at the squad, decided who he didn't want uh, and who he wanted to replace them, and went to Fanini with a shopping list, saying, "These are the, this is the list of the players I want to get with that three million plus what I get from selling these players I want to get rid of. And Fanini sort of said, well, actually, there's no money at all, Steve. And whatever kind of family issues Steve Koppel was having at the time, and we've got to assume it was all stress-related, and, and perhaps... Perhaps people would be more open about it in this more enlightened day and age. But it sounded like that was the final. Steve Steve Copper was very stressed out with his family situation, with the, with the team situation, uh, and that finally telling him basically the promise he'd made to him before he took the job was not actually uh, a deliverable promise. Probably tipped him over the edge and thought, "What the hell am I doing here?" And uh, so, so Stevie Copper just walked. So so it's here. It, it's um, we talked about manager of the month, so it's um, where are we now? You know, it's late October. No, it's actually it's uh, November. It's just then in November, we need so, a new manager. August, September, October, November. And we're on our fourth manager because we've had uh, we started with Ball, then Hartford, then Koppel, and uh, the next one's got to come in. So uh, and actually, it was Phil Neal, who was his assistant, who was his assistant. So, so that was that was never going to be. Um, <laughs> That was never going to be. Did he do any better? Did he do any better? So, uh, like I say, it, it brought a whole new meaning to the phrase "manager of the month" because basically, we we basically had one a month. Um, Neil held the fort, uh, and we're at um, into November now. So Neil held the fort for a couple of months. We had a couple of wins in that period, but at the end of that uh, period, end of '96, we are. Do, 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 let me just see. We're just outside the bottom three. So we're a point above Southend, who are in 22nd place, because, of course, it's League Division 1, as it was in those days, and it's a 24-team league. Uh, and we've got a game in hand over them. So so the situation, again, is it's not great, but it's still probably rescuable if we can get the right manager um, you know, doing things right. And I think, guys, that's probably uh, a good point to end it. Now, and, now listen... Uh, th- this it ushers in a period, uh, Colin, I think you'll agree, when uh, young City fans can remember um, who the managers were because um, one manager went out and his assistant came in. So it was Koppel and then Neil. And then, uh, as, as as kids will remember, then it was like, Billy McNeil and then it was his assistant and and people like that. The joke was but, that Franny Lee took the normal door off the manager's office and put a revolving door on. Absolutely, <laughs> but um, that that was that was the nadir, I think, guys, in my whole Man City experience. When, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, for me personally, um, uh, when Steve Koppel got the job, I mean, I couldn't, I just couldn't get my head around it. And he lasted, I think, 43 days, Colin? Would that be about right? 28. 28 days. Six games, 28 days. And I apologise, I was talking about Billy McNeil and his assistant. That was, of course, like 10 years earlier. But um, you do kind of like, uh, as as kids, you, you, you memorise the, the names of the managers of your team. Uh, but this really did bring in this era where it was basically Tony Book on a, a regular basis as caretaker manager yeah. and, and 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 you you got um, one manager in and then his assistant and then he get fired the next guy came in um and, and then his assistant got the job and um it was a terrible time ray to be a man city supporter wasn't it it wasn't fantastic um you know um 
when you see other clubs who had longevity, they had managers there for donkey's years, and you, know, you look across at Liverpool, managers there for you know, with people like Paisley was there for several years, and Shankly before him, and you, you look at United, who had just uh, had... Ferguson had done uh, 10 years by that yeah, point, hadn't he? About. Yeah, and so he had clubs that had, had managers for several years, and you know, if, if you're a half decent club and with a half decent manager, that could lead to some success. And yeah. we were just, you know, kicking them in, kicking them out. And uh, you know, people were coming in on prom- some of them on promises, some of them on uh, you, you scratch your head, you know, um, how did they get the job? And nobody seemed to be lasting any length of time. And obviously, this season showed. What was it? Five managers in in as many months. Also, yeah. uh, it was, it was I'll, crazy, crazy. I'll, I'll I, t- I think I think we also cover Frank Clark at yeah. the end of that season. Let's get to that, the end. That, that, that would be a good point because at, at least the end of the season we did pick, we did pick up at the second half. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So at least we'll finish on a slightly more positive note. Okay, yes, Colin. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go with Frank Clark. So, so again, Frank Clark comes in. Uh, I think he came in, um, it, yes, in the new year, just yeah. in the new year. But he had to wait. Uh, it was the 11th of January before we had a game. And and Frank Clark, again, um, you know, he's one of Brian Clough's protégés, of course. But he started off really, really, well, started off really, really well. Um, and we, weren't, we were winning more than we lost. In fact, uh, we... Played a good guitar, a apparently, wild, Frank Clark. We didn't lose. It, 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 was, it, it was March before we lost in the league. It was, his tenth, it was Frank Clark's Clark. tenth game in charge. That was the first one we lost. Yeah, and um, so, so we're moving up the table. And the story is, uh, you know, with Alan Ball and his introduction to the players, well, I've got a World Cup winner's medal, who are you? Frank Clark had a slightly different approach. He played and, guitar uh, to them. He, he played, played guitar. He took his guitar and played a few songs. I and the know. players said, they were laughing, thinking, what the hell? But it did relax them, it did. And Frank Clark seemed to have the ability to bring out belief in players. And, and, and perhaps it was the uh, the change after the, the managerial merry-go-round and Alan Ball and the managerial merry-go-round and Steve Coppel. But the players seemed to find, a, or did find, a bit of belief. Uh, so the team that were doing so badly in the first half of the season actually did well. And, and if, you look at the, if you look at the numbers in the league... Um, before Clark came, we had 26 points from um, 25 games, which is, uh, is it re- is it relegate? It's not quite, yeah, it's probably relegation, just about relegation form. Under Clark, we got 35 points from 21 games. So, so that's um, over a point and a half a game. And that is enough to give you promotion. So there's a huge turnaround. Clark just gave the players that little bit of a lift, did things a little bit differently. The players, so a player like Nicky Summerby started to play really well under Frank Clark. N- n- now the shackles were off a bit. So, so Clark gave the players a bit more freedom, a bit more enjoyment. Uh, he was a more relaxed character, uh, pro- probably could, could associate, uh, relate to the players a lot better. And, and I say, we got, under Clark, we got 35 points in, in, in his 21 games. Which is promotion form, yeah. maybe not league winning form, but it's uh, you, you, you're looking at potential promotion with that sort of points total if you carry on. So get to the end of the, the um, 97, 96, 97 season, we end up in 14th place and we're 15 points from both the bottom, the bottom three, Grimsby, and the top three, with, uh, Wolves, who were in third place. So there's a 15 point gap to both of those teams. So we're as mid-table as you could possibly be, really. And um, he did a decent job. So there's some confidence then going into the 97-98 season. But um, as we'll talk about in part three of the podcast, that confidence um, was completely um, misplaced. Now, now Colin, just, just before we finish off, I'm just trying to stretch my memory about Clough's European uh, Cup winning teams. Was was Frank Clark actually a member of... Uh, uh, one of those celebrated teams that won the European Cup twice, or was he I a think squad, he was. A squad yeah, off the member? Top of my head, off the top of my head, I think he was. Um, I'm just trying to remember. Just trying to check quickly. Ray might Playing remember career. something about that, but no. I, I seem to remember. Was he maybe on the bench uh, in those two? Uh, yeah, it was. His, sorry, it was his last game. His last game, literally, his last football game was when they beat Malmo one 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 nil. In the 1979 European Cup final, he was on the pitch. He was a he was a defender, centre back. Centre back, yeah. Well, a full back, wasn't he? Um, I thought he was a centre back. Well, I mean, he had a 
Guitar player, I'm just, defender. Just going to rattle off the team. Just going to rattle off their team. Peter Shilton, Viv Anderson, Frank Clark, John McGovern, Larry Lloyd, Kenny Burns, Trevor Francis, Ian Boyer, Gary Bertels, Tony Woodcock, John Robertson. And that was, I mean, we're going back 30 years, 40 years. Blimey, 40 years. Um, we are so wow. old, guys. We are so old. I tell you what. I, but I can still remember, I can, you know, they were, it was such a good team. You can still remember those those players. And still, a lot of them stand out in my mind. Uh, you know, some of them have even played for City or managed City. So, yeah, it's, it, that was a cracking team, and Frank Clark was part of it. My goodness, guys, on the podcast, we've got through Alan Ball, we've got through Stevie Coppel, we've got through Frank Clark. Oh, my gosh, guys. Um, we this is this is going to be a five parter, isn't it? But um, it's been so exciting. It's been so exciting, and those memories just drag us back, guys. It just, I'm sure Colin and um, and Ray and, and and I I know myself feeling really really old now. Um, thinking back to 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 those times, and um, it was um a, a, as as Colin said, a revolving door. Um, in in. in at Man City with Francis Lee there and um oh my gosh I'm, I'm I I actually remember what I was doing at the time I was actually working as um a person in Trafford Park Bakery uh, shoveling li- shovel- shoveling livers to make um pies at the time and looking enviously looking enviously at this guy beside me because he had these new Nike trainers and it was the time of um you remember the battle, the pop battle between Oasis and um, and Blur, and that was going on in the background. I, I must have been about sort of 23, 24 years old at the time. And um, think, think, well, let me see, 95, yeah, probably more, probably nearer 30, but, um, but thinking to myself, what kind of team is this that I support? I was being roundly mocked, of course, by all my... All, all my uh, sort of friends, and um, we were the comedy club um, at the time. Colin, well, I, not, that's probably uh, that, that's probably a good a good uh, point to finish on. Would you not agree well, that I'll, at that time we we were the comedy club? We were a, we were well, a think, bit of a that, joke. We were certainly moving towards that uh, but, description. Yeah, but I tell you what, guys, no spoiler alert. Okay, no spoiler alert to our viewers and listeners. I'm sure the next pod, when we talk about the 97-98 season, will be much better. <laughs> oh, my oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm dreading that podcast, but um, we'll do that um, on the next one. But listen, guys, I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, going down memory lane with uh, with your friends, uh, Colin and uh, Ray and myself, and and I, I hope that it, it hasn't um, traumatized you too much. But um, yeah, we're, we, we're, we're saving that for the next one. <laughs> we're, 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 we're definitely the, the next one is a horror show, guys. So if you if you're the kind of person that enjoys horror, then um, you know tune into the next one. Yeah, but listen, listen, listen to it behind the couch. Yeah. Well, the next one will be on Friday the thirteenth in a couple of weeks' time, won't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, we'll do that when Colin comes back from America. We will do that one, and we will but be behind the couch, guys. But thank you so much for bearing with us uh, so far. We'll stop it here, and um, we'll just uh, we'll just uh, express our gratitude to our two travellers through the 1990s. The first one that you were listening tonight is Ray from City Fan TV. Thank you so much, Ray. Oh, thank you for the memories. <laughs> my youth back in the 90s. Thank you very much, Mike. And also, Colin, Colin, I'm so sorry for dragging you through this, but um, I, I, I think that, that uh, in some ways it might have been cathartic. Well, funny enough, I was um, having one of my intimate little tete-a-tete with my good pal Miguel Delaney on Twitter last night. <laughs> and, um, no way! You know, it was like, you know, one of those joke films you stick, holding a little guy trying to land a punch and the big guy's holding him off with one hand. <laughs> and um, I want to kind of, you know, big up myself, but it was like, you know, toying with a, um, a cat toy with a mouse. And uh, anyway, I happened to mention... Rats. Yeah, um, I happen to mention it up. I will never criticize. You know, City fans. I'm about to record the second part of a podcast series on the Franny Lee era. Um, 
So, you know, I don't care, almost like I don't trust human rights abuses in the world, which they're not. Um, they're still better owners than, than Franny Lee was. And we're having a much better time now with City fans than we were, um, you know, 20 years ago. Thank you so much, Colin, for coming on. It's a pleasure. Oh, my gosh, guys, if you weren't excited enough by the three-part Peter Swale era that we did, my goodness, are you frightened about the fact that we're going to go on like maybe three or four more pods to talk about the Francis Lee era, which was, in fact, about half of the time. It was, you know, it was, it was much less time. But we are going to do it. We're going to put you through it, guys. And uh, we're loving it, the fact that you're with us. So we'll just um, uh, end it here for the moment. And we will be back with you again after the next game. So until then, we're going to say, as we always do, have one on us, guys, and up the blues. Nish. Lee. Interesting. Very interesting. Oh, look at his face. Just look at his face.